It is Tuesday, March 10th, 2020, and coming up, the Brooklyn Nets fired head coach Kenny Atkinson over the weekend. We'll tell you what's next for the Nets and what's next for Kenny. Also, the Lakers reign supreme in a pair of bouts against the NBA's best teams over the weekend. We'll put LeBron's heroics in perspective. Plus, we'll be joined by Asbury Park FC's own Sean Francis, the offside rules himself, to talk about everything happening in the world of soccer and with his own club. How about that? You won't want to miss it. All that and more coming up. This is The Tune-Up. Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, Mr. I Haven't Met a Kyrie Irving Take I Haven't Liked. It's Benny Horowitz. Oh, we're starting on Kyrie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I can emotionally. We've just got to ease the folks into it. We'll get into uh, our don't fuck this uh, up person yeah, of man. the week. But what's up, man? Rough weekend for you. Uh, not rough. I mean, I went up Friday night, played a show in Boston. That's right. Good show at a place called O'Brien's. Uh, the only thing is, you know, when you join a band with guys younger than you, I kind of set up the night. I'm like, oh, okay, we'll play Boston, drive about an hour out of town, get a cheap room, rest for a few hours, nah. you know, get back early afternoon next day i'm like on the way there i'm like hey guys what's your plan they're like what should we do tonight oh we're driving home and i'm like oh okay i'm like you guys good to drive yeah so they powered through the night and i you know unload my drums at about 5 a.m walk in the house at about 5 30 my house wakes up at about six so <laughs> even though my wife very kindly let me sleep in an extra couple hours you know Trying to do the domestic thing in the weekend van warrior thing is is uh, oh my gosh. diametrically opposed. Yeah. Let me tell you that. <laughs> but a good show up in Boston. A good show. I'm still alive. I've made it. Oh my Had gosh. a couple Jameson, slept a little in the van, and, and here I am, Denny, just trucking along. You know, oh, you can't stop working when you have kids. You know, it's easy to. I can see where people just check out. It's so much easier to check out. <laughs> the idea that. After seven, eight o'clock, when your kids go to sleep, you have to do anything else is really daunting. Jeez. But if I want to like keep doing podcasts and bands and, and keep working, I, I need that time. So you just got to keep uh. pushing through, you know? That's why people start to look really old really <laughs> fast when they start to have kids. All right, because we can't go from cold takes to hot takes, especially this week, it's time for our don't fuck this up person or thing of the week. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. And the last thing I said to him, I said, look, man, don't f*** this up for me. Don't fuck it up. Benny, who do you got? Let's just, today, we're just going to have a blanket. Don't fuck this up for all citizens of the world. I know a very small fraction of these citizens listen to the tune-up, so I'm not sure how far this will go. But I want everybody to, to take a step back, make sure we're taking care of each other, Make sure you're looking out for the people around you and find like two sources of information you think are cool and ignore everything else. And then your head, your life and everything will just be a little bit easier. That's what I, I, I don't want. Let's 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 not fuck it up, everyone. I want to I want to live for a little more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Benny, my don't fuck this up person of the week is Vlatko Nevosky. He is the U.S. women's national team coach and this isn't so much an objective stance, but, you know, Sky Blue FC just moved into the neighborhood playing mm -hmm. at Red Bull Arena. That's right. Uh, NWSL, one of the top women's soccer leagues in the world, and the one of the faces of this team is Mallory Pugh, who, under former head coach Jill Ellis, was playing a ton of minutes, was slotted to be the future uh, either forward or midfielder for the U.S. women's national team. Very good player. Now she's on Sky Blue. And this dude... This Macedonian, whatever word you want to call him, <laughs> does not want to get this girl on the field at all. Instead, she's just he wants to put athletes out on the wing, kick it ahead. I think it's a disgrace. Now, granted, the midfield for the U.S. Women's National Team, very stacked. But goddamn, dude, like you have a generational talent just wasting away on your bench. So, Vlatko, or however <laughs> the fuck you say your well name. Well done with that, by Don't the way. fuck this up, man. You have a generational talent. And you're wasting it. Now she's very young in her 20s, but still, don't fuck up her development, man. Danny, you know what you did there? What? You're like 
the sports guys who said Giannis's name correctly like the first two weeks he came into the league. So like Ryan Ruka. Yeah, like <laughs> one person. Yeah, that was really good. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Well, what nobody saw is my You're, combing over the phonetic pronunciation like of, I'm of, trying to do a broadcast here. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's a good thing you did all that background work on your Macedonian accent oh, to make sure man. it was up to par. <laughs> all right, Benny, first topic here. And it was all purple and gold over the weekend. That's right. The Los Angeles Lakers painted the town in a route to two major victories. They beat the Los Angeles Clippers, who were playing at a very high clip coming into this game. They beat the NBA's best Milwaukee Bucks, though I'm not sure how much longer I'll be able to say that for with both (laughs) of these teams nipping at their heels. Benny, just an unbelievable weekend for LeBron James, Anthony Davis. And, you know, sometimes when you're wrong, you're wrong. And I have not been on this Lakers train all season. I was like, they don't have enough... uh, discredit i discredited avery bradley all the time i discredited alex caruso heck we for a while we even had had a segment token meme Mm -hmm. that was entirely devoted to making fun of alex caruso (laughs) that's right i've been on the wrong side of history with this thing from the jump take your moment how happy were you this weekend (laughs) well now first off slow it down because because history hasn't written itself yet you know what i mean we literally you know they've played three games this season the first was the first of the year. Some strange guys were still getting run. Right. You know, Troy Daniels still got 20 minutes in that game. Like, you know, some pieces weren't together. I kind of imagine that first game as a throwaway game as as far as our perspective into right. looking at Lakers Clippers. Game two, Kawhi Leonard was everything people think Kawhi Leonard is. You know what I mean? In that second game, he put up 35, 12, and 5 with uh, amazing efficiency and outplayed LeBron James handily one-on-one um so to say that after this win the lakers are just writing it in stone that they're going through oh, this i don't is, think i said that either is 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 crazy i mean they were down at the half uh clippers made a run in the fourth quarter that that very easily could have gotten them back in the game so it was close the cool thing about this denny is like as an nba fan when it's healthy it's undebatable that this matchup contains four of the top 10 players in the league. Now, I was kind of looking back. I can't think of a time when, like, you could, you know, without without question, say that these are four of the best players. Because through the Spurs years, you can always put Duncan in that category, but you can't put anybody else. Uh, you know, you had Kobe and Shaq. You had a, a couple of these powerhouses, but often uh, one of these people from a big three fell out of the top 10. I can't think of a time when unarguably four of the best top 10 players in the league are in a heated intercity matchup. I mean, this is like oh, set yeah. up. I mean, if you put the the inner city thing on it, but I feel like we had a NBA finals for four years where you had four top 10 guys in it. Which ones? The Warriors Cavs. You had Get- LeBron, KD, Steph, Clay, all kind of around their peak. Clay top 10? At that time, the way he was playing, I mean, oh, that's, just ask the is, people of Oklahoma City. This is about what that. I'm saying about an inarguable one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the four players in this game, I, I don't think you'll have an NDA pundit that's out there that doesn't have right. all four of these guys in the top ten. Right, exactly. That that's kind of the point I'm making. Like, like, sure, there's been arguably that many players in this matchup before, but has there been inarguably that? Not in the memory I can have. I would love to hear if there is. Um, the one thing that was tangible, too, is the fact that the Clippers are not going to have a home court advantage. Um, and I've been through this with a lot of experience. Yeah. As a Brooklyn Nets fan in New York, anytime you play the Knicks, Celtics, Sixers, those teams often take over the Barclays Center, uh, and especially the Knicks. And even when the Knicks are bad, you know, like yeah. a 20-40 and 40 Knicks team comes into the Barclays Center, and it's still 60-40, 70-30 Knicks fans. And even if it's not, the Knicks fans that exist are so much more dedicated and passionate than the Nets <laughs> fans anyway. They just know how to be better fans. And I think that is going to be uh, a tangible thing going through the playoffs is the fact that the Clippers don't have a home court advantage. This is going to be an incredible postseason for two reasons. You have one franchise that has historically never gotten it done in the Clippers – and as as we saw again, another matchup on Sunday where really two teams that were uh, getting it going at the right time met, and LeBron came out 
on top. And then the other storyline, man, this Giannis thing for me as a Bucks fan is scary because yeah. you can't do it in the NBA playoffs if you're just one guy. Yeah. And for all the flack that people have given LeBron, including myself, about not doing it by yourself, he needed an Anthony Davis type yeah. because... The best teams that he's been a part of have had multiple people to, right. to contribute. And Giannis, I mean, I love Chris Middleton, right? But I think he's he, he's a better third or fourth option on a championship team. They don't have that number two. And, I mean, for, for parts in that game on Friday night, kind of to touch on that a little bit, Dante DiVincenzo was your number two option. Yeah. Wesley Matthews disappeared completely. Yeah. Kyle Corver's attacks right off at this point. So the the combination of, of, of that front. Uh, now, we can't be prisoner of the moment here, but I think what's happening with LeBron James right now is absolutely special. I mean, this guy's out here in his 17th season in the league playing arguably his best basketball. I mean, the numbers aren't the same as those heat years, but he's having more of, of an impact on the court. He's playing point guard for the first time in his career. And uh, people, people are bouncing off him on the court. Right, exactly. I mean, he is in, the kind of shape he's in is insane. And I think he, somehow his agility and his, his handles have gotten better in his 17th season. His, his so, outside shot clearly has gotten better. Right, yeah. exactly. So I think, I know people want to give Giannis the MVP, and clearly with what he's done with what the rest of that team is. Sure. If you if that is your definition of most valuable. Fine. But I mean, there have been years where LeBron is just been ignored for the MVP. Yeah. So maybe kind of like when we had the Oscar talk, we had like, you know, like the makeup call a lifetime achievement. Yeah. yeah this yeah. is this is a LeBron lifetime achievement MVP. You can be more. It. You can be more right about that. This is set up for for a bad MVP vote more yeah. than anything I've seen. But the point you make about Giannis is very true and concerning, and I see the same thing. You watch a game like last night, or excuse me, yesterday afternoon, there are four players on the court that you can just give the ball to. Mm. You know what I mean? Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, AD, Paul George, yeah. any of these guys you give the ball to, they can find a spot on the court to get their shot always yeah you know what i mean lebron will always find a way to get fouled he creates enough contact every single time he drives the lane to call a foul one way or the other yeah. he's the most confusing thing for refs right. maybe ever you don't know how to even do it because everyone's getting a shit kicked out of him down there and you're not mm -hmm. even sure someone got fouled yeah you know so and that's the thing with the lakers they're also winning without the three-point shot yeah and I mean, they and, shot 28 percent in that clipper game yesterday yeah and the idea that uh you have two guys on the court who can get to the line anytime they want. Um, that can take you far in a high-pressure playoff situation yeah. where you just need something to happen. And you see people doing the same thing to Giannis, which is the same thing they do to Ben Simmons, which always becomes highlighted in the playoffs. You get him out of the box, you force him outside, force him to move a ball around, and no one else can get something done. It is concerning. Yeah. Um, and I think... As much as I wanted to tell Bucks fans like yourself to relax no, you earlier can't. in the season, listen, if Giannis is a pragmatist, <laughs> something's got to give over there, you know? And uh, I'm not sure what it is. I know you proposed to me Eric Bledsoe in a first-round pick for Brad Beal. I would... Oh, <laughs> okay, I just, I, I just need to get this off my chest about Eric Bledsoe. Now, it's been well-documented how he got to... Milwaukee, his I don't want to be here anymore. Well, clearly that's what he says every postseason about playing defense or about being a competent basketball player whatsoever. Because now this past weekend in the United States, you know, we uh we we turn the clocks back. Daylight save. No, sure. spr sprung ahead. We lost an hour of sleep. We lost something. Well, well, we all lost something. Eric Bledsoe <laughs> lost his identity and his ability to know where he stands on this basketball team. And quite frankly, I am so sick of this. I am so sick of the fact that the Milwaukee uh, Bucks are going to lose a generational talent because Eric Bledsoe, Eric Bledsoe can't keep his shit together. This is not your team. This was never supposed to be your team. And, and if you want to go this whole route, this whole Jabari Parker, this is my route, well, you're going to end up in the same situation as him. So, Eric Bledsoe, know your role. And you know, shame on you, Mike Budenholzer. You wanted this. You wanted this. I don't care if you're a coach of the year. Get your guy under control. Danny, I'd just like to tell you, to the tune-up listeners, 
in the history of us doing our short podcast, I've never seen you so so ired up. I am just you take the Milwaukee kid and punch him in the gut. This I'm is not, what happened. It's like I grew up in slapping the world with a bratwurst. I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> douse me in Miller gosh, and throw me in. Uh, God, the, the Milwaukee River, Lake Michigan. Who cares? Put me on a Harley. Oh send me into the lake. Like, like okay. Listen, the the window is this year. The window is yeah this yeah. year. Giannis isn't that same kid that was like, oh, the Smoothie King Center. That's dope. He knows he's knowledgeable of what it means to be a superstar in this league. Well, let me ask you this question yeah. now. Okay, so so if this I'm ranting and raving. So if this there. is the year, right? Yeah. Which you're very well could be right, considering the contract situations and all that. This could be the year. The East doesn't look great. Every single team in the East has has major problems, major injuries, things that they're going through that make them nobody's gelled in the East where right. you're like, oh, okay, that team's a problem for the Bucks. So realistically, if the Bucks work their way through the East, which is still very possible, make a finals against the Lakers, the Clippers, how many games do they need to take? What do they need to show you in that finals that this group can be the group to move forward is it a win or is it just a good showing in many ways i think if they don't get it done this year uh it's kind of similar to what kyle lowry had to deal yeah. with is what both Giannis and uh chris middleton will have to deal sure. with middleton uh more so than Giannis. but yeah the way to say that he might kyle lowry us this this postseason the weight of the world sudden, the yeah. weight of the world is on the milwaukee bucks right now and i'm left just with eric bledsoe thinking that this is his fucking team great <laughs> not optimistic <laughs> all right benny next topic we alluded to it earlier kenny atkinson out in brooklyn and i think the news kind of shocked a lot of people when it came across the wire on saturday afternoon there have been multiple scapegoats uh leaked in in, in the press reports blaming a number of different guys but at the end of the day we have to look at Kyrie, kevin durant I mean, we, we've talked about this Nets culture for as long as we've been doing this podcast, and Kenny Atkinson, if not the face of the Nets culture, with him and Sean Marks, at least like the driving force behind it. So you kind of take the culture out. I'm going to set this question up like this. If you're, you know, you're Joe Harris, you're Karis Levert's, you're Spencer Dinwiddie's, is this the writing on, on the wall that your time in Brooklyn is done? And what do you make of this for the Nets this season and then going into next? Firstly, we have to call bullshit a little bit on one thing, which is the Nets culture. So this summer, when you go ahead and you sign Kyrie and KD, yeah. the whole culture business is kind of thrown out the window, right? Like like maybe the culture got you those players, yeah. but the idea that you can maintain this culture without any history of winning prior seems a little naive, yeah. you know what I mean? And and even as a Nets fan who was a little blinded by it, I was even a little naive. The idea that like we had built something so strong here that uh, in the way of the Spurs, in the way of these great organizations, these players slip into our culture seamlessly and then it plays out. Uh, this is not reality, huh. okay? So I don't have too many sources, Denny, but I got a couple. Okay. And... If there's anything I confirmed is the fact that, you know, Joseph Sy, the owner of the Nets, did go ahead and have private conversations with most of the players on the team, especially ones who hold any kind of sway. And there was a looming feeling that even though Kenny Atkinson is a good coach and someone who made it this far, that he doesn't know how to coach vets and that getting ahead of next season is the most important priority. Now, firstly, I'm a little upset because the team that I had watched go from like really a laughingstock kind of perennial loser who was making terrible decisions in the course of three years made pretty much nothing but good, sound, healthy decisions that uh, grew the roster and not only grew the roster, grew chemistry in a way where the second half of last season, it kind of clicked. You had D'Angelo Russell, you had Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, all these guys playing a certain way that, um, that elevated the Nets to a level. 
But the question I'll ask and the question that's going to pervade this whole time is, is a good culture that's a little chippy in the playoffs and does pretty well better than having an actual winning NBA team? Mm. Now, you have $300 million locked up into two players who have three rings. You have a coach who's been to the playoffs once last season and got knocked out. If there's actually a thing from the vets in that locker room saying, hey, this guy's cool, but he doesn't have it, what kind of choice do they have? And even Kenny Atkinson had said back in December, hey, like my time's running out. Like I got to show something here because he knows he knows the nature of what's happening here. And that's where the idea that this could have wind up amicable. Oh. Yeah, I'm doing this in quotes, yeah. of course, because obviously Kenny Atkinson didn't want to lose his job. But if you realize it's an inevitability, you are going to lose your job. And you need to stay ahead of the fact that like, oh, okay, I'm going to get fired anyway. These guys don't want me. Let me get out now. Someone else will play out the rest of the season. All these good uh, coaching situations coming up, I'll be first for. Well, it's funny you brought that up because over the past couple of days, I've been able to speak with people close to Kenny Atkinson himself. And very much the feeling is that Kenny Atkinson, like you said, knew, knew the writing was on the wall. And he's like... If you're going to fire me this offseason, just do it now and don't waste my time. A Not quite a, a direct quote, but that was the vibe he gave sure. Sean Marks and, and Josiah. And by being fired now, right, it actually makes him a stronger candidate For going sure. into the offseason. Because 100%. there are going to be some teams, i.e. Philadelphia, that are going to be looking for yeah. a head coach this upcoming season. And he never had a healthy roster. It's like... It is unfair, right? Yeah. The fact that Kenny Atkinson never got to coach this team as it's supposed to right. look. That is unfair. But also, it takes him out of the fact that he never gets to be the patsy either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like he got out before all this took place. So, so regardless of what happens, it can never be a detriment to his record. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about, which is a funny relationship to the music business, is this... Uh, Bill Simmons, uh, Ryan Russillo theory I heard this morning about new owner syndrome and made a case about Mark Cuban and the moves he made when he first came to the Mavs and stuff like this. If there's one thing that I can really attest to is in the music industry, I've come across some of these guys, these really rich, powerful kind of brokers in the industry, you know, and these people have had successes before. And because of the sort of fluffy jerk off nature of the industry these people get it in their heads that it's like their genius and their touch that made all these things a reality joseph Sy is such a successful guy in whatever i don't even know where the guy made his fucking money he's got too much of it and now he owns a basketball team um and, uh, chinese amazon yeah it's fine Alibaba. and um so like i've seen people do this right where You'll play them like a perfect record. You know what I mean? It's mixed. It's beautiful. People have spent their entire lives crafting and making music, have put this thing together, and they all think it's great. And you play it for one of these bigwigs, and they'll go, by the way, just in my head, all of them have a British accent. This isn't anyone <laughs> in particular. They'll go, you know what? I just want the guitars like a little bit higher, like a little jangly, That's you know? Solid. And then they'll use... You know, then they'll use like a reference, like, you know, almost like a Fleetwood Mac song or like something like that. And and the reason this happens all the time, it's not because they really want the guitars up. It's not because they have a real idea of how a record should be mixed. It's because on the chance that this record becomes wildly successful, you need to say that you put your opinion in, that you made a change that was part of the process. And I think that's part of the same ego that goes into these new owners, which is somebody else set this entire thing up. You know what I mean? They brought in KD. They brought in Kyrie. Prokhorov did the stadium. Prokhorov, you know, changed Brooklyn and the aesthetic and did that. So there's a chance this guy just jumps up, the Nets win next year, and they're like, oh, yeah, good for you, but you didn't do any of that. Now... He gets to say he put this like personal touch on the situation. And if there is success, part of his genius was part of the success. And it's pretty easy to see to see where that happened. There's also a very specific timing thing here where uh, last week uh, they play the Boston Celtics. They're down by 20 points. 
Uh, and Kenny Atkinson pulls all the starters except for Karis LeVert. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie included, who has seemed a little disgruntled of late. And he got benched for a guy named Chris Chioza, who played a great fourth quarter. Um, and the Nets came back. Karis LeVert scored 50 points, and they won. They also won handily against the Spurs the night he got fired. And the following day, DeAndre Jordan's in the starting lineup. Wilson Chandler's in the starting lineup. So to me, there is an obvious A and B here about what was going on with starters minutes, with rotational minutes, and with players like Chandler, Jordan, Dinwiddie, uh, and people like that un- unhappy with their roles. That seemed pretty obvious. All right, Benny, coming up, we're going to talk to the czar of modern football, that is the offside rules himself, Mr. Sean Francis. On the line now, many people call him the David Beckham of Asbury Park, New Jersey. It is Sean Francis, the sole proprietor, dual proprietor of Asbury Park FC. Sean, what's up, man? What's up, man? First of all, no one calls me that. And if they did, (laughs) they would be paid to do so. Um, And yes, I'm I'm co-chairman of the Asbury Park Football Club, amongst other activities. How are you guys doing? (laughs) We're good, man. man. Big fan of the APFC, always, and a big supporter. How could you not be a fan? I mean, the team with a record as good as ours is uh, (laughs) a man's loyalty. I've, I've seen a lot of players for that team and some 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 cards and stuff, but who would you deem like the superstar of APFC? Who's the guy you're really building the franchise around? Well, I mean, our, our big legend is a uh, uh, French Canadian player by the name of Benjamin Goal. <laughs> um, some some people call him Benny Goal, but uh, you know, it's 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 it, it's hard to nail down to one one guy. Then you know, it's just. We have so many stars. We have so many legends. So many guys that are just nails and just show. Every time we take the field, they show up. And uh, all I have to do is show up. Really, that would be it. That would be a start. So, if I want to know the legends, just look to the rafters. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the rafters are non-existent rafters in our non-existent stadium. <laughs> so, here on this show, we are trying to start the rumor that, you know, Benny's gaslight money, we're going to start a basketball team. We're, we're not sold on, on, on this theory, but, you know, the Newport Five, we do the show out of Jersey City. Uh, so if we were trying to start a basketball team, what advice would you have a young entrepreneurs like ourselves? Find tall guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's step one, find tall guys. Um, two, hmm, what was my the second step? You know, my second step, man, is honestly like I would say, find something that everyone loves. Find something non-controversial that everyone loves. I I think the funny thing about Asbury Park FC is the fact that you know Asbury Park is this weird thing in New Jersey that like it does not matter who you are. Somebody has a story or a connection to it. And yeah, that's half true. the time it's total BS, but like everybody's got a story of like, Oh, I saw my first show there. Mm-hmm. My grandpa used to work on the boardwalk. My parents met there. I, I don't know. I, you know, every, I saw, I saw a band there for the first time. Like everybody's got some weird story and connection to it. So it's kind of one of those things that, you know, um, it's never going to be offensive to anyone. Cause like sports is tribalism. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, if you're a soccer fan and you like one team, there's often an inference that it's because you don't like something about another team. Right, and you can right. say that with any sports, you know? Like yeah, yeah. Someone says they're a Yankees fan. Well, you know what? If I'm from Boston, I'm not messing with you. Yeah. Asbury yeah. Park is like one of those things that, you know, there's, there's no, no one, no one has a beef with it. <laughs> In fact, everybody kind of tends to have an affinity for it. So That's a I would good say point. find something. Yeah. Find something everyone can rally around. I've met like literally, I've met, I'd say a hundred people who told me they've seen the Ramones at the Stone Pony in Asbury Park. And I'm like, how many people were actually at this show? Because this doesn't seem real anymore. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Everybody says they were there. But What's it's true. Everyone's got a story. You travel all around the world too. And it's like, everybody's got a story from Jersey. They got a cousin from Jersey or something from Jersey. And then, yeah, more often than not, they wound up in Asbury Park. It's kind of strange. 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't even grow up in Jersey. I grew up in Texas, and the funny thing is, I used to, I'm a big, you know, I mean, I, you know me, I'm a big music nerd, and oh, yeah. I used to sit in my bedroom on Friday nights. My older brother would go out. I was old, go, go, old enough to go out, so I would sit in the bedroom and read all his Spin and Rolling Stone magazines. And back in the day, you'd always see, like, these articles or, like, little yeah. little small pieces when a band announced a tour, and they'd say, oh, you know, this man's going out on the road, they got a new album out. And here's the tour dates. And I would always see Asbury Park, New Jersey oh, right. listed. And it would always be between Philly and New York, D.C., Boston. You know? And I had no idea of anything of Asbury Park, New sure. Jersey. All I knew was Bruce Springsteen was from it. That was it. But in my mind, it was a big city because right. it would always be next to, you know, New York, Boston, Philly. And I was like, what is this big city in New Jersey that has no sports teams? <laughs> but apparently, you know... <laughs> It's something because all these bands are playing there, you know. And I remember uh, seeing that in in in, in the same. That's on a couple of issues. And then I remember Rolling Stone had Oasis on the cover, and it was like the first, like when Oasis like first blew up. Yeah, yeah. And it was like the first time they were on the cover of an American magazine. And the article starts with their show at the Stone Pony. Oh no shit! Which, <laughs> yeah, it would. It, you know, which is infamous if you ever never heard any of the stories about it. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, man, just like, like literally, like basically, like half the shows on that definitely maybe tour. The first time they came to the stage, like <laughs> right. the show basically ends with you know Liam getting into a fight with half the audience. Okay. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> very cool. So, typically, always and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can imagine his loud mouth going into the pony in the '90s when you know Asbury Park wasn't nearly as. Um, That's true. It's become very tame. Yeah, when lately, Fury you know? of Five is running the door and, and <laughs> Liam Gallagher yeah. walks in, yeah. yeah, I could see that being interesting. <laughs> even even Mushuga got beat up at the Stone Pony. I can't believe. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> so yeah, that is funny. What was like the first? What was the first time you came to Asbury? Man, the first time I came to Asbury, I was living in, uh, when I first moved to New Jersey, I was living in Jersey City, actually. I was right. living on the corner of uh, Christopher Columbus and Jersey Avenue, mm-hmm. right across the street from Dance and Tony, if you know Dance and Tony. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, it's now a sausage yeah, place right next door to where he lives. A very nice sausage place with vegetarian <laughs> sausages. I like a sausage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we just, by the way, we just channeled our, our inner Frank Diamond right there. With that. <laughs> That's true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the first time I came down to Asbury Park, Tony got tickets to go see the Strokes at the Stone Pony when the, you know, the Strokes were like the hottest big it buzz band right, or whatever. Right. And uh, you couldn't get tickets to see him in New York. It was selling out, you know, Bowery Ballroom sold out in like, you know, 20 seconds if they would play. So yeah, me, him, and a couple of girls came down. And uh, it was very funny because this was, you know, early 2000s. There was nothing going on on the boardwalk. There was nothing anywhere around the pony uh, at, at, at that that stage. And it was like oh, October. I feel like it was in the fall. It was pretty, like, you know, cold and wet and raw. Uh, but then we went inside. It was just like a hot, sweaty, like just good, good, you know, just good rock and roll time. You know, yeah, it was yeah. great. And then. It, and then I didn't come down here for a while, and then I uh, met my, uh, who is now my wife. Um, I met her, and uh, she opened up a store on Cookman Avenue oh, 15 cool. years ago. And uh, yeah, I've been down here ever since, man. That's it. I love it. So, part of us wanted to come in and have you on to talk about, you know, like the music and all that stuff, but I wanted to get into the MLS side of things, if you oh, will. Yeah. Now, we have a lot of listeners from all over, but a lot from across the pond that don't quite get the league. It's fine. A lot of us here don't get uh, general allocation money and stuff like that. So I wanted to talk to you about, you know, modern football and inner Miami and their offseason where, you know, they've gotten off to a bit of a rocky start in play, but what's the deal? What's the deal with David <laughs> Beckham missing out on all these stars? Uh, no, but I think, I honestly, I think they're going to be fine. Mm. I think they're going to be fine. Um, Inner Miami seemed to be taking this route. Um, there's kind of a new thinking. So I, I used to work at MLS for a couple seasons. I had a cup of coffee there. Um, and I actually was working there during the, the peak of Beckham mania when he was playing with the galaxy and things like that. And there was this kind of thinking at that time, um, with a designated player will first came in. People would just go and get the biggest names that they could. Mm. Sometimes, 
it didn't matter if they were the right fit for the team. It was just, hey, there's a big name. He's available. Yeah, we've already got three strikers, but screw it. This big name's available. We're going to get him. And it'll put butts in seats. That was the thing for a while, quite a while. And then Atlanta United came in and kind of not only flipped the league on its head in, in a thousand different ways. I mean, it's crazy. A, a soccer team in Atlanta, Georgia, is one of the top 15 attended teams in the world week after week after week. It it boggles the mind how they've been so successful in an area that had a pretty negligible soccer history. Sure. But one of the things they did with the player acquisition is they said, instead of going to buy the biggest names we can, we're going to buy those guys in South America that the big European teams are looking at, but we're going to buy them first mm. so that we can, after we get, you know, three years and maybe a couple of championships out of them, we can go on and sell them to Europe for more money than we bought them for. And the, the and old model was flipped the other way. Yes. Right. Yes. Instead of buying the known quantities that are on their last legs, mm. they're trying to find the guys who are on deck to be those next big known quantities. Gotcha. And so they did that, and, you know, in two years, they won a championship. The Red Bulls, former Metro stars here in New Jersey have been in this league 25 years and haven't right. won a championship. Yeah. These guys did it in two years. Hmm. You know what I mean? So everyone kind of stood up and noticed that. And we've started to see that with a lot of teams now, a lot of these designated player slots, which were always traditionally filled by a, a David Beckham, a Blanco, a Juan Pablo Angel, Claudio Arena, like these people that, you know, you'd seen play in Champions League, Thierry Henry, Tim Cahill are now getting filled by these young Mexican and South American players that are, you know, they're gunners, man. Like these guys that can really play. Um, and, and so if I go back to Atlanta, they kind of proved the model two years ago when they sold Miguel Almiron, who was, when they brought him, he was a Paraguayan player. I played for Paraguay on a national team, but he did some rumors. Man City might be interested in some things like that, but there was never anything concrete. So they bought this kid for, you know, a couple million from a team uh, in South America, played for them for two years, won them a championship, and then they sold him uh, to a team in England. Now he's playing at Newcastle. I think two weeks ago he had a double. He scored two goals, you know, in, in one game a couple of weeks ago. He's, like, killing it over in England, and, you know, they got exactly what they wanted. They got mm. a player that came in for two, three years, lit the place up, got him a championship, built his resume so they could flip him for probably twice the money that they paid for him. Mm. Speaking of Atlanta, oh sorry. Oh no, that was good. And that's what I, that's what I'm seeing out of Miami guys like Claudio Pizarro and a couple of the other guys are facing time because everyone kind of thought they were going to go for a big name like Cavani uh, or someone like that, and instead he went these, these these younger guys, but they've got just as much upside and probably more financially. You brought up Atlanta United. Yosa Martinez goes down ACL first match of the season uh thus far you know they've got six points through two matches what are your expectations for atlanta this season i mean they're they're always going to be they're always going to be contenders the way that team is built you know joseph martinez goes down week one at 70 percent of the teams in the league that's a the nightmare nightmare right. scenario like our season's done or we're gonna have to go out in the summer and spend a lot of money to get a <laughs> replacement the way atlanta is built again because instead of putting, you know, so much of their salary into, say, Zlatan Ibrahimovic like the LA Galaxy did the last two years, they've kind of spread that money out of, across a couple of guys. So Martinez goes down, but they've still got Barco. They've still got Pity Martinez. They've, you know, they've still got Julian Gressel. They've got all these other hitters. And it's interesting because um, they're one of those teams that, you know, this guy was has, he actually broke it, broke the league scoring record. But they've still got all these other guys around him that are just as dangerous. Um, so, for me, I don't think it's going to slow them down that much, to be honest. With you, which is a scary thing. <laughs> you know, you, you you lose you lose the league's leading goal scorer, and you're and you're still going to be all right. You know, if I'm anyone else in the league, I'm like, you know, he gets hurt, and I'm kind of, you know, licking my chops. And we want the guy. You obviously don't want anyone hurt, but you're kind of like, okay, maybe this is going to help us out in our conference. But then you see how they're playing without him still, and you're like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you brought up a goal scorer, and I don't think anyone in the league is doing it better than Carlos Vela is right now. That Philadelphia LAFC game on Sunday night, uh, classic 3-3 draw, absolutely wild. Um, but cross town, 
in Los Angeles. I, I know you brought up uh, signing, signing marquee players. The LA Galaxy hoping to make a splash in the town with the signing of Chicharito. Uh, by your estimation, yeah. how's that going for them so far? Well, it's funny, man, because before the season started, it seemed like everything was going absolutely perfect with it. You know, he was, um, he, he's very much in that mold of the LA Galaxy big signs. If you look at their history, you know, starting with Beckham, going into Robbie Keane, going into Ashley Cole, going to Steven Gerrard was there for a hot minute. You know, they've just, they, they've been the standard bears in the league for like bringing the big name signings in. Chicharito was, you know, sort of right there, you know, right after Zlatan. It was a, a great move because he's a household name, Mexican national team, all-time leading goal scorer. So he's like, he ticks all the boxes. He's a good-looking guy, super personable. His English is great. He was on James Corden last week. He's already <laughs> been lakeside or courtside to at least two Laker games that I know of. You know, he, he was doing the L.A. thing. It all seemed perfectly. And then... He plays his first game. That's all right. But he, he wasn't really getting the ball. They weren't getting the ball to him. Plays his second game, his first home game. Same thing. No one's getting him the ball. Hmm. They lose, and the guy doesn't want to talk to the media after. Now, MLS is one of those leagues where it's, it's a single entity, single entity. So it's centrally operated. So the league sets the rules. Everybody else has to obey. And one of those things is all players are available you know, open locker room after, after the game. And he didn't talk to the media. And to me, that's a big red flag because this guy was talking a really big game about, you know, he wants to come to America, grow the game, expose the galaxy to a lot of fans that don't necessarily watch MLS in both Mexico and in Europe. And then first time he has a bad day and the media wants to talk to him, he doesn't want to talk to them. Hmm. To me, that's that's one of those things that's like, okay, guy, I know you're getting paid five times everybody else, but don't be that guy. You not, know what I mean? not usually the way to uh, endear yourself to a fan base is to, to no. cold them out after and two the, games. Yeah. No, and the interesting thing is, after that uh, LAFC Philly Union game last night, guess what? Carlos Vela did the same thing. Mm-hmm. No, 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 the, 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 the league is set up, um, you know, as you said, this is a directive from the league rather than the teams. Will, will, will there be punishments for these guys for this? You know what, they'll, if I had to guess, they'll get a fine and it'll be more of a symbolic fine because right. guess what? These guys are on, you know, seven, eight million each a sure. year. They're going to get fined 30 K and they're going to be like, whatever, that's couch kitchen money to me. Right, right. Um, you know, Cash uh, so you know, it's one of those weird things with MLS where they have these moments. Um, there's these moments every once in a while where you have some of these guys who are big names in, in, in the game from other parts of the world, and they sometimes think they're bigger than the league, mm-hmm. um, and it creates some moments of uncomfortability on occasion. We saw this from David Beckham in his early days when he just decided, you know what, I know I just signed this massive deal and have become the face of the game of this country. And two years into it, he decides he wants to go on loan to uh, inter- um, AC Milan. Mm. And it put the league in this weird place because, you know, there were interviews with the commissioner. He's like, no, David's not going anywhere. We'll work it out. Well, guess what? The guy went on loan twice, <laughs> you know, right. two seasons in a row. And it's like, what are you going to do? You're not going to get in a public shouting match with, you know, the only household name in your league. At the same time, you kind of can't let him just – and do what he wants. It's uh, it's weird. It, it happens every once in a while. But I, I feel like it's Tim Wilson's credit. It's fewer and far between her because the, the league is just growing at such an exponential scale. Um, as you said, you know, with the new model of the MLS because of Atlanta being, you know, bringing these younger players, finding them young, and then, uh, you know, sending them off when they'd cost too much money. Does that put MLS at any risk of being almost like a, a developmental league? For, for Europe, or does um, or is this like a model they're happy with to, to, to be able to even get the young players and then maybe eventually they can sign one long term? I think it's something they're happy with, man. I mean, at okay. the end of the day, it's a business, right? right. You know, it's a business. And one of, the, you know, one of the unique things about soccer is it's, um, it's, it's one of the few sports, and definitely the sport, that has the most sense of it being an open market. 
right, know, if you're into right. gridiron football, it's the NFL. If your NFL career goes bust, you might play in Canada a little. This year, you might play in the XFL for however long that lasts. But really, it's the NFL or bust. There are yeah. 32 teams you can play for. That's you're, it. The you're not making any dough. World, you can ma- yeah, you're not making any cheddar anywhere else. Yeah. No, no, exactly. But even, yeah, so it's like really there's 32 places in the world that you can play. Right. That's it. If you're into baseball, you can play in MLB. You might go to Japan or Korea. Sure. But that's about it, right? Soccer, there are over 200 leagues in the world. Right. And it's it's it, and it's a buying and selling commodities market. You know, you buy low, you sell high. Hmm. So for MLS, it's, again, if I can get these guys to come in and help their teams be successful in the moment, and then they can flip the guy and make three, four mil and take that money to go reinvest and buy another young guy. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great thing. The interesting thing now is they're starting to get some of these players who are national team players for Mexico and other countries in Latin America who are at their peak. And they're actually leaving next the Mexican league to come to MLS, which is super interesting to me is more interesting than, um, you know, a couple of years ago we had this wave of like, Michael Bradley, Clint Dempsey, some of the other right, American right. guys who were playing in Europe that were still ostensibly in their peak, but they were coming stateside. I think it's more interesting that you have guys that are playing for Club America, playing for Leon, some of these massive teams in Mexico, and they're still in their 20s. And they're playing for the national team. They're deciding to go play in Miami and L.A. and places like that. It's, that's fascinating to me because you can't, you can't have that happen too, too often if you're the Mexican League. And I think one of the big reasons these guys are leaving is is because of the lifestyle that they get here, you know? Um, and I say this from being around players for a long time, being on the road with guys that, that play for the U.S. national team that play in Mexico, guys in MLS that have played in Mexico. It's like, you know, you play in Mexico, your checks might not get there on time. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a sad fact. Like, you, you know, paydays every month, and you might wait three months before you get a check. I know guys have had, had that happen to there are a lot of guys who, once you reach a certain level there, you start to fear for your family because you kind of become the target of blackmail. That happens wow. fairly often. In, 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 I won't say fairly often, but it's not uncommon. I'll say that in, uh, for a lot of the guys that play soccer in Latin America. You know, they know you have money. They go grab your cousin. You got to give them 50 grand to get your cousin back. You don't have to worry about that stuff if you're playing in MLS. Right. Like, you, you don't, you know? It's, 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 it's the shopping mall of soccer leagues, you know? It's like <laughs> a little bit pedestrian, but it's super safe, and it's a good way to spend your Saturday afternoon worry-free. Now, you've had a closer seat to this than we have, but I have a theory. It seems, you know, you come off the 2010 World Cup, it seemed like MLS needed the U.S. men's national team more than the U.S. men's national team needed MLS. And as, you know, mm. the, the decade evolved, and the influx of players from like other CONCACAF nations in South America came in, it kind of seems like a lot of those U.S. players has been spurned, and it seems like the league is, they're like, okay, that's under control. We have soccer, you know, marketing doing all of the work. Now let's turn our attention to the global and kind of forgetting about where they came from a little bit. Yeah, I think the weird thing about that, the aftermath, there's two things, the aftermath of that woke up. One, I think um, MLS is actually doing a really good job of developing players for the U.S. team's rivals. If you look at around CONCACAF at the other teams and the other nations of CONCACAF, Costa Rica, Jamaica, Honduras, El Salvador, like the guys that are starting there are largely guys coming out of MLS. And as, a, as that league has gotten better, it's provided a real avenue for these other guys and some of these nations that are, you know, probably more traditional footballing nations, but they don't really have the strongest leagues. Well, those guys are playing in MLS and getting better as players. So MLS has kind of inadvertently made things more difficult for the U.S. men's national team, which I don't think is a bad thing. Um, the other half of that is I think you know, in the aftermath, like, you know, 2010 World Cup, 2014, I think that group of guys was amazing. You know, mm. Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan, fantastic. But what had happened, if you look at the current generation of guys, like these younger guys, um, you know, Christian Pulisic 
that era of guys. I'm not going to say him, but like those guys in that group, like the thought of being an American player and not being a millionaire superstar athlete is weird to them because it's always been that way. You know, like I was like, not to, not to make a political by any stretch, but I was telling, I was talking politics with someone recently. And I, I said, you know, it's, 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 it's like my kids funny because like my kids were born when there was a black president. When I was a kid, that seemed completely out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that, you know, like these guys, that older girl, they had a chip on their shoulder. They had something to prove because people didn't really, I don't know, people didn't really, you know, fancy Americans, didn't think Americans could really play the game at, at, at that level. So they kind of went out there and were like, you know, we're kind of punk rock about it. And we're like, oh, I'm going to do it. And we're going to do it well. Mm. As with this newer generation, there's some great players, man. There really are. But I think they're missing a little bit of that. They don't have anything to prove to anybody, you know? You need, you need a group of guys from Kearney. <laughs> Yeah, man. Like, you know, I always thought that was what's best about the U.S. team was always at their best, fortunately or unfortunately, when their back was against the wall. Mm. And they had that period where it was like really, it it really got old because it it would be this weird thing where they get they give up a goal within the first five or six minutes of all these World Cup qualifiers. You're just like, why do we keep doing this? And it would be something stupid, but they would realize, oh crap, you know, it's going to hit the fan if we don't step up, and they would step up. we're always better when we have that, that, that fighting spirit, that sense of grit. And something has happened where that's just not there anymore. Mm. Um, and I just, my personal opinion is I think people got comfortable. And I would say that too, not only with the players, but I would say that with U.S. soccer as an organization too. Like they suddenly found themselves, you know, having a good 12 years of increase, you know, three World Cup cycles where it just kept getting better and better and better getting more attention, better players, bigger sponsors coming in, a lot of money coming in. And, you know, it got to the point where, you know, some of these friendlies, they're charging $120. Go see a friendly, you know, and I think it it, it all just imploded. (laughs) You know, it's like, like, it's almost like some kind of Wall Street crash. Everybody got too rich too quick and it just, it just fell apart. Two more questions for you and then we'll get you out of here. MLS team never won CONCACAF Champions League. Do you think that changes this year? Ooh. Uh, I think it could, man. Yeah. Honestly. I think Which team? I, yeah, I think it's Atlanta. Atlanta? I'll, I got to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just, they can hang, man. They really can hang. And I think um, maybe if, 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 if LA can get it together, LAFC look like they... they it looked like they could get close. They looked like they could get to the final. He is Sean Francis. Follow him on Twitter at the Offside Rules, and please go to asburyparkfc.com. Pick up all the gear you can. Sean, thank you so much for the time today. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, boys. Awesome. Let's do it again. All right, Benny. Real quick, top of the fold this weekend: South by Southwest, the Tech music and film festival that takes place every year in texas is officially called off due to the coronavirus the austin-based festival was officially called off on march 6th just a week before it was set to begin the cancellation comes after more than 500 people signed a petition to cancel the event and some of the show's biggest attendees have pulled out the festival was canceled by the city of austin not the south by southwest organizers so benny you've played a lot of festivals a lot of different events over the year from an artist's perspective, when you have a whole schedule that you're always trying to keep on, how does this, this impact your life and how does this impact your preparation for presentations, shows, and all that stuff? Quite a bit. Yeah. You know, something like South by Southwest is used for a number of reasons. You know, it's not just a show. It's like I've been told to to wait for meetings, wait to see if you want to put out my record, wait for all of this until South by Southwest is over hmm. because of the amount of people that meet there, congregate there, see new bands there, see old bands there, talk about all sorts of shit. Um, and that's where, you know, money-wise, it makes a lot of sense that the city canceled this rather than the organizers right. because it is a fucking funnel of money. You know hmm. what I mean? Um The one thing people need to understand about South by Southwest is that unlike Coachella, it's not a giant thing in a field. 
You know what I mean? Like it's not some giant festival where everyone goes into the same grounds. Uh, you know, this is like a conversion on the city itself. Mm. Like Austin and downtown Austin is a damn shit show when South by Southwest is going on. Um, and it's because they have a major stage, you know, in the middle of the city. And then all the other shows are just scattered throughout all the local bars and venues mm. in Austin. So getting around, staying, uh, the, the, the types of efficiencies that a city enjoys completely go out the window mm. when South by is there. So I can understand if you had a situation you felt could be coming that was uncontrollable, it would be absolutely uncontrollable if this was going on. So it makes sense to me. Uh, it's unfortunate, but it's people's health. This is entertainment. Um, as far as bands are concerned, I wouldn't think that bands are living and dying with the money and stuff they get from South by. It's not really about money. Those shows are about exposure. They're about playing in front of certain people. And I'm sure there's a lot of young bands who lost their opportunities to play in front of X amount of industry people, X amount of fans. And, and it's really unfortunate on that side of it, but necessary again. Um, I've been part of a couple show cancellations, not many. Um, I, you know, Gaslight historically was a pretty um, yeah, hardworking band. You know what I mean? We had shows, we had tours. We would do almost everything we had to do to make sure that we showed up on time and earned our money for the night. It was important to us. Uh, Brian, for he's an exceptionally uh, lucky and or talented singer in the way that like he is very little voice troubles. This can be something that's really like a nagging concern for a lot of singers. Uh, luckily, only once Brian had to cancel a show because of a voice. It was a show in front of very few people in Reno, Nevada. Hmm. I ended up just uh, smoking an apple bowl with a homeless guy behind the venue and went to the next city. Didn't really have any uh, major consequences on my life. I'm not sure I ever went back to Reno, though, which... <laughs> There might be some angry people in Reno about that. But then, you know, more importantly, um, the second time I was ever in Japan playing a show there, um, I was in the earthquake, the major earthquake in 2011, heading to our show in Tokyo. And our show in Tokyo was two days after the earthquake. And even though uh, the power was on at the club, the power is on in our neighborhood, we were already in Japan, the idea of allocating people's time and resources and money to a rock and roll show when like people all over that country are in absolute peril and people need to use those resources and allocate them any way they can. That's where I think people need to just like get their heads out of their asses a little and, and remember what's reality, what's entertainment the things you have to give up for a short period of time to keep the level of the earth the way we want it. You know, it's just South by. And let me tell you something, that fucking festival is a pain in the ass. So, you know, those are my stories about it getting canceled. <laughs> I hope as everybody hopes that this is a, a short running thing and that, uh, not too many more major events need to be canceled, but if they do, you know, get the fuck over it. <laughs> Run out of root. Oh my! I I've done that more today than any, any other episode that we've done. <laughs> All right, we're running out of room on this episode. Run out of real estate, if you will, which means it's time for the tune-up mailbag. You've got mail. Leslie writes in here. Leslie Gunther's number one. Thank you so much for listening. He tweets. Just got a chance to listen to this week's tune-up. This is uh the one from, the tune-up from two weeks ago, and Benny had a dollar slice take for the ages. Uh. Leslie says, just got a chance to listen to this week's tune-up. And as a resident of JC, Benny Horowitz's Dollar Slice deserves to be a billion-dollar company. For those people that don't remember, it was the parking. Yeah. Yeah, the parking app. So The so, parking app. That's yeah, right. you pay somebody X amount of dollars a month, and they use GPS technology to move your car before alternate side of the street parking. I actually wrote back to Leslie being like, what would you pay for this service? And he wrote me back saying that, well, I'd pay over $100 a month because that's what I pay for a parking space. 
my first question, thinking, I didn't want to call him out on Twitter. I was like, how the fuck did you get a parking space around here for 100 bucks yeah, a month? Right? <laughs> Goodness gracious. That must be some kind of deal. Must be a really good Groupon. Yeah, something <laughs> nice. But thanks for listening, man. And I'm glad you appreciated that take. I guess I should make my dollar slice one shittier, huh? We also have mail today from Tyler to at the TuneUp HQ on Twitter. And he, he, he's talking about the Astros here. Yeah. Tyler Sweeney. I heard one suggestion saying that the Astros didn't get to celebrate the reunion of the 2017 season. No 10-year celebration and no merch sales from the postseason. Yeah. I think it's a good idea. Uh, I think those are parts of like, so right, the ship's already sailed on the fact that there's going to be punitive penalties. You know, like Mm. it would almost be uh classless and just strange now if all of a sudden you let these guys go for a couple months and you're like oh now you got 50 games and you arbitrarily start throwing random numbers out and stuff like it's probably not gonna work they blew it you know they blew it on that so you know if you're not willing to put a star next to their world series i think these are some of the punitive damages you start putting on people to at least take the joy out of their experience if they do happen to get there well, anyways, get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneuppodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the tuneuphq. You can follow him. He is Benny Horowitz. He is at Benny Horowitz1 on Twitter. Number one in your minds, number one in your hearts, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah. Everybody love everybody this week. Including you, Kyrie Irving. <laughs> this has been the tune up. Thank you.